Well, it's very fitting, um, even for this and just for some other things going on just in our own lives. Um, you know, many of you uh, who knew uh, Brittany, uh, tomorrow will be two years since she passed away. You know, last, this last Monday was two years since my dad got saved, and in five weeks will be two years since he passed away. And, um, you know, we have this tragedy with classical. We have just a lot of different things. And even the song we just sang, uh, the We Won't Stop song, um, you know, it's a song that, um, you know, I never got to write a song with Brittany. We always talked about it. We never did. So I used her words from text messages and stuff. And, and even a lot of those words there were her prayer specifically for my dad to be saved. And, uh, and a couple days after that prayer that she texted my wife and I, um, my dad did get saved. And, um, and so we have all these confusing things in our lives, these things that just interrupt our lives. We just wonder so often, why do they happen? What is going on? Why would God stop a very good thing from happening? And it doesn't make sense. And today we're looking at this text here, and we're going to see these guys, Paul and company, setting out on a mission trip to preach the gospel. This is a good thing. They've made their plans, godly plans, God-glorifying plans, sacrificial plans. They're giving over their time and, and their, their talent, their treasure. They're giving over everything in order to share the gospel. I'm sure they prayed through these plans. These are unselfish plans. They're otherly-minded plans for the sake of others in the world. And God says, no, what is going on here? <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Thank you, Barty. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Barty Hayes. <laughs> I'm, I'm really concerned about the security in this church. I don't know why you guys didn't tackle the man rushing the stage there. <laughs> so, so why does this happen, though, when we have these good things that we're so excited about, thankful for, that are good, God-glorifying things, and God says no to us? I know we've all experienced this at some point. Something in your life, in your heart, that you believe is God's will. It's his desire for your life. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a plan that's going to bring glory to God through your life. And you're so excited. And then God stops it from happening. And you're just confused. And you want to know why. This week I was sharing some of, you know, just kind of my experience. The last few weeks going through sort of renewed uh, grief and reminders. Uh, I was sharing that and just kind of the last two or three years. Uh, and an old Irish friend of mine um, who himself has been through a lot of just unspeakable tragedy in his own life. He encouraged me with a quote. Uh, this is in your notes here too. Um, he shared this with me and it says this. It says, religion with no mystery is a religion with no God. We have to understand that if, if we're going to really trust God, we have to understand that there's going to be mystery involved. Uh, the way I've said it over the, the years, kind of a similar sentiment. I've said if you can figure out God, then he would be a terrible God. Right? If, I mean, think about this, church. If I could figure out God, you should not follow the God that I can figure out. Right? You should not follow the God that you can figure out. Finite you, finite me, sinful me, limited me. I'm going to live however many years in a certain time, in a certain place, at a certain point in history. If I can figure out God, that's a terrible God. Right? A true God is going to have mystery, going to have things that are above our pay grade. Things that we don't understand, and that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't understand everything. It would be scary if we understood everything. But this doesn't you know, make the, the pain and the confusion easy, but it hopefully does make it easier. 
And so as we look at this turn of events with Paul and company here, we're going to see some of these instances when God says no and how we can then navigate forward when those kinds of things happen to us. And hopefully we can understand more of how God leads us even through our lives. So I want to pray. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16, uh, just looking at verse 6 through 10. Father, we come acknowledging that uh, we, we find ourselves so often lost and even confused, even as believers who love you, who trust you. Uh, many of us who even might know your word well, we might know your character well, but yet still we find ourselves uh, in difficult situations. And our hope and our prayer is that uh, we would always just keep in this strange balance of sadness and sorrow and confusion facing those realities, but yet holding this thankfulness, holding an, an awe and a wonder and a gratitude and amazement and a trust that you are in control, that we can still sing, I want to thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done, that we can sing, we won't stop praising your name, even through sorrow and through pain. You're going to lead us when we don't understand. So help us, Lord, and I, I hope and pray that your spirit would lead us into truth as we open up your word and we see even the, the, the things that these, these guys, these heroes of the faith went through. So we're grateful, God. Help us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 16, verse six says, they went, this is Paul, Silas, Timothy now, they went through the region of Phrygian Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit forbid it. And when they had came up to Mysia, they attempted then to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to preach the gospel in Bithynia. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, was standing there in this vision, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul see, had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a couple quick practicals before we just dive straight into this. From here on out, we're going to see the, the language change a little bit, a subtle change in the book of Acts. In verse 10, Luke, who's the author of Acts, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he now starts saying we and us instead of they and them. Did you notice that? Right, look at verse 10. When Paul is in the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, including that God had called us to proclaim the Gospel. So from here on out, we know that Luke has actually joined this Gospel party. Luke is now a companion, which is so amazing, right? Because we have Mark. Remember Mark who abandoned Paul and Barnabas? And then you know, he's kind of you know, put on the bench for a little while, and Paul doesn't really want to take him. But then we know that Mark later wrote the gospel of Mark. And now Mark is with Barnabas out preaching the gospel. At the same time now that Paul and Silas and Timothy are out preaching the gospel, and now they pick up a traveler, and this is Luke. So we got Mark, who's out preaching the gospel, Luke, who's out preaching the gospel. These two men who go on to give us half of our gospels, of our four, these guys are in the trenches with Paul and Barnabas. I just think that's awesome. I just think that's amazing. So they, they were part of this, this time when we're there, they're watching our church family, our church history be born. 
Luke and Mark are witnessing the birth of the church, the early years of the church. It's just an amazing thing. I love how the Lord has just orchestrated this. Now we see, though, that they make their godly plans to preach the gospel in Asia, to go to Bithynia to preach the gospel. But in both of those cases, the Lord said no. He forbid it. That, just, that seems pretty wild to me. Hard to understand. Why would God forbid these men to, from preaching the gospel in places that need the gospel? Now, how? I want to know, how did the Holy Spirit forbid them? How did the Spirit not allow them to go to Bithynia? And we don't really know. We don't know how, practically, how this actually happened. It could be anything from something extraordinary, like when Paul was met by Jesus on the Damascus Road. Maybe it was this great vision, similar to what we are seeing a couple of verses later. Maybe it's something really remarkable like that, or maybe it was just something very ordinary, like, like bad weather prevented them. Or, or maybe Paul just had the map upside down or something like that. We, we don't really know, but something forbid them from going to those regions. It could be something extraordinary or something maybe very basic like weather. All we know is that God prevented them from going. We don't know exactly how. And before we unpack that a bit more, look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So here we have a more extraordinary event. Like this is, this is really crazy. And so we're going to look today a little bit at kind of these extraordinary ways, but also ordinary ways that God leads us in our life. But here we see an extraordinary thing that happens to them. A, a vision in the night of a man. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm sure that's how we'd all like every big decision to happen in our lives, right? Just God gives you a vision of somebody. And they just say, hey, go do this. You're like, oh, thank you. Right? That just makes life easier. But the, the reality for us is that this is not how it usually goes. It's important to understand for us that as we look at stories like this, this story here is, is descriptive rather than prescriptive. And what I mean by that is that it describes how things went for these guys, but it doesn't tell us exactly how it should always go or how it will go for us when we're seeking the Lord on things, this isn't meant to be taken as a normative experience, a normative expectation. It can describe how it can go. We know that the Lord is capable of doing uh, different things to lead us, guide us in various ways, but it's also not intended to make it normative for us. This is why at our church, we don't say that the primary means of grace in our life is uh, to seek God in, in the word of God, in prayer, and by a man asking you to go on a road trip in the middle of the night. All right, that's, we don't say that here. Right? We say the word of God, prayer, and gospel community because these extraordinary things, that we just don't see them as often and they're not designed to be these um, sort of normative ways that we seek out the Lord and his guidance. So while we do see many ways in the Word, such as here, that the Lord can reveal His desires or impress on our heart different things in extraordinary ways or means, we also know that they are extraordinary. That's what the word extraordinary means. It's extraordinary. Extra, that's how it's spelled, right? Extraordinary. So we know that these things are extraordinary, but they're not the ordinary ways that God guides us. So we want to be wise and hold them properly doing all we can to keep them in their proper place when it comes to the influence that they even have on us. Now, I've personally seen this a lot, and I'm sure that you've probably seen this a lot, maybe in your own life or in the lives of others. 
But we kind of get in these places, we just say to ourselves, or we hear people say, I just, I just want so badly God to speak to me, to show me, just to give me a sign, give me all these things and tell me what to do. I don't feel close to him. I don't feel like I know what he's doing in my life. It's a very discouraging place to be when our closeness to the Lord is dependent on experiences and feelings. We could become kind of experienced junkies or we're just waiting for the next thing. We won't move until we just get the thing, the thing, the thing. Uh, many years ago, I remember a, a young guy, it was my age, um, when I was young, um, he said, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord showed me, as a musician, I'm gonna be bigger than you too. The band, you too, not me too, not Joby too. <laughs> bigger than the band, you too, and I'm gonna preach the gospel through my music, and I'm gonna be bigger than you too. That never happened, but he hung on to that because the Lord spoke to me. Uh, another guy, uh, a pastor, a friend of mine, told a young couple that the Lord told him that these two are gonna get married. And they didn't get married, and it wreaked a lot of havoc in their lives because it was confusing. A pastor says, the Lord told me you're gonna get married, and they didn't get married. That affected them for a long time. Uh, this one, uh, more comical, but very sad too because this was a true story. Uh, someone came uh, to a guy and said, I had this crazy dream. Um, I had this dream that uh, I got a, a brand new hamster pet uh, for me and I just, I'm confused. I don't know what the Lord's trying to tell me. And uh, this guy, a pastor, same pastor that said, you guys are gonna get married. Uh, he said, well, clearly the Lord is telling you that you should move to New Hampshire and minister the gospel there. Now, thankfully, that person didn't move to New Hampshire. What is it, New Hampshire? New, New Hampshire. <laughs> but that's a real thing. Like we just sometimes we just we want to see God, so we just grab onto all these things. Uh, my wife and I had um, someone come up. Was this for Micah or for Liam when they, when they had their name for a kid? For Liam, okay. Uh, this this gal, sweet gal, she comes up to us. She goes, "I the Lord spoke to me and told me that you're supposed to name your son." This is for Liam. You're supposed to name your son Oscar. And I, and I was like, wait, after the homeless puppet that lives in a trash can? Like, I, no, I don't, I don't want to name. It. So these things, and, and, but she's convinced, and she's telling me, and now, now this can cause some confusion. If I don't really have like a really strong foundation, I'm going, gosh, maybe if we don't name him Oscar, maybe the Lord won't show favor on our son. I mean, all these crazy things can happen, right? When we're so just very, uh, holding on to these things, not in a proper way. Now, so while we can be open to the, the various ways that God is able to uh, maybe stop something from happening or draw us towards something, uh, I mean, I, I love actually telling the story of how the Lord gave us our name for Micah, uh, not the, you know, the, the countertop for Micah. Uh, so, sorry. I would never say for Micah. I just, uh, but when the Lord gave us that name, it was not through this extraordinary thing. It was through very ordinary means. But my wife and I have always just believed, like, the Lord really just divinely orchestrated uh, some, some traveling that I was actually doing in Ireland at the time uh, to really like, bring me to this name. It wasn't this extraordinary thing. It wasn't you know, a, a Macedonian man saying, name your son, Micah. But it was this ordinary means, but I love the story because God sovereignly led us towards it. I can look back at so many events in my life where normal things like weather or schedule or traffic or something mundane was actually used and even planned by God to steer my life. There was a time also when I was young, before I was married, I had an opportunity to 
join a band, really great band, loved the music, loved what they were doing. Uh, they had a, a, some, like a seven album uh, record deal. They were going to tour all the stuff. Um, I was like this close to joining this band uh, and the Lord forbid it. It didn't work. It didn't happen. And a couple months later, because I stayed back while they went on tour, a couple months later, I met a girl named Katie. Right? So at that time, <laughs> my father-in-law just said, dang it. <laughs> it really is the biggest culprit, you might say, kind of quote-unquote culprit, that God uses to lead us through his, his providence, through just his sovereignty, the orchestrating of events, him working things in life that we can't see. I believe that God is in charge and directs every single dust particle in this universe every millisecond of its existence. He tells a dust particle where to go and it goes there. He upholds the entire universe by the word of his own power. I believe that because God's word says that clearly, shows it to us clearly, and I can even look at my own life and know that that is true even from my own experience. So what is most important is, is trusting that he is indeed at work in all the circumstances of our lives, that he's at work in many kinds of mysterious ways, unknown ways, even mundane ways, boring ways, random ways, ordinary ways, ways that we simply can't know what he's actually doing behind the scenes when you're stuck in traffic or why you're stuck in traffic. We're not going to figure him out, and that's good that we can't figure him out, but we can trust him. We can't figure him out, but we can trust him, even when our good and godly plans are shut down. Now, God has designed us to be emotive people, multi-sensory people. So discerning God's work in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, in the events of our lives, open doors, closed doors, life's interruptions, it's so complex knowing what is God and what's the enemy or what's just our own flesh or our own emotions. It's complicated. So it's important for us to realize that we are designed, church, to be interpreters. You're an interpreter. You're interpreting everything you've experienced, interpreting everything you've felt, interpreting everything you read, everything you see. You're interpreting why I'm stuck in traffic, interpreting why I lost my job. You're an interpreter. And it's your job, my job, to be good interpreters. Objective as much as possible, interpreters knowing that none of us can actually be truly objective. Now, whether the Lord is opening or closing doors through ordinary means or, or getting my attention through extraordinary means, because I know that I'm just an interpreter and a faulty one at that, I have to always seek out the Lord's guidance through the, those primary ways, the primary ways that the word prescriptively shows us to do. And that's the word of God, prayer, and God's people. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give everything over. Everything you've experienced, everything you've thought, everything you've felt, every time you've been frustrated in traffic, whatever it is, give your whole self over to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is how you worship. Bring all those multi-sensory things, all your past, everything, bring it to God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, testing, testing all of these things, wondering what I felt, what I thought, what I thought was the Lord, what I wasn't sure of the Lord, bring all these things to the Lord so that by testing, 
you may discern what is the will of God. You can't do it on your own. You can't just do it by thinking, oh, this is what I think. Well, I had a dream. I had this vision. The Lord told me. No, that's not good enough. We have to bring these things to the Lord so that by testing, we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't originate any information or any revelation. We are receivers. You don't originate feelings and emotions. You receive things, and then your body responds to those things. That's where emotions come from. They respond to things. What we read, what we feel, what we grew up seeing, and it's our responsibility to properly ascertain the right interpretation. And not just of Scripture, but everything that we take in. And while we know that we're, we're seeking to be objective, we, we want to be, we all want to be objective, right, when we're seeking out truth from God, but we have to recognize that when we do our interpreting, we all do it in very subjective ways, and no one is exempt from that. No one. Because we are not God. <laughs> There's only one God, and I am not him. Remind yourself of that all the time. So for instance, even here in this story in Acts chapter 16, with a very intense vision, a Macedonian man in the middle of the night, they still discussed it afterwards and then concluded. Right? Like, Paul, I don't think Paul was just like, hey, this dude showed up in the night, so we got to go to Macedonia. I don't think that's what happened because it says that they actually concluded. They talked. They're like, hey, this happened. What do you think? Was that the Lord? Or like, are we just frustrated with this because the Lord keeps closing doors? So I'm just kind of hoping that something's going to happen. And so is this just my flesh that's creating this Macedonian man? Or, or was this the Lord? They concluded that it was the Lord and then they immediately obeyed. But I don't think they were just like, oh, hey, this guy shows up. Let's go. I don't think that's what happened. Look what 1 John says, chapter 4, verse 1. John says, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Church, don't believe every thought, every goosebump, every feeling, every emotion. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Just like we saw in Romans. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, even if we, Paul the apostle, or even if an angel from heaven, an angel, let alone a, a Macedonian man, but an angel from heaven, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel that's contrary to the one we preached to you, let that angel be accursed. He is no good. He's no good. So I don't think these men are just going to follow a vision on a whim or a hunch. They're wary of the enemy's ways. They're wary of their own hearts, their own frustrations and confusion in this traveling where they're going, why does God keep closing doors? Hey, I had this vision. Is it just me hoping for some, some light, for some change of scenery? Or is this really the Lord? I, I don't know. I don't know if this is my flesh or not. So they conclude. They talk. They pray. They discuss and conclude that it's the Lord. And then they immediately obeyed. Life can be just so confusing. You can't believe every spirit or emotion or, or, or dream you have. Every moment you get goosebumps, every interruption, every coincidence, every tragedy. Uh, we can't trust and know for sure, oh, this is definitely the Lord. This is not the Lord. It's just, it's confusing. You can't know why this or that is in your life or has been taken out of your life. It's just, it's too much for us, church. It's too much for our finite brains to be able to compute all this stuff. We're not designed to know everything. We're just not. There is mystery in this walk of faith. 
That's why we call it faith. There's mystery involved. We need help. And my wife and I, and, and many of us who've been here for longer than the last two years, three years, we've asked ourselves, after Brittany passed away two years ago tomorrow, Lord, why, why would you take her from us? Who she was as a mom, a wife, a daughter, a friend. She was such an encourager. She was, she was your, your, the, the pastors here at the church. She was their biggest fan. She encouraged us when we were the most weary. She loved Life Mission Church. So we asked, why, God, why did you let her leave us? And I still, I asked myself that one. But church, then we have to be so careful because we don't know all the mysteries of God, the things that he's working behind the scenes in our lives, in the lives of others. Even for me, knowing the very important and pivotal role that her cancer and her death played in my dad's salvation. We cannot presume to know what God is always doing when he closes doors that we wanted so badly to have stay open. Doors that we were convinced was the Lord. I can't tell you how many Christians have had their lives so hurt by that phrase. Well, the Lord told me. The Lord is going to do this. Maybe someone says it to them or they say it to themselves. Now, again, I'm not saying at all that the phrase or concept of the Lord leading us or guiding us, encouraging us, pressing things on our hearts, reminding us of his promise. I'm not saying those are bad and they're always wrong. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not throwing just that phrase out the window. But what I'm talking about is how how tightly we hold on to things when we're not totally actually sure if it's the Lord or just a, a godly hope, right? So we have to be careful with that. Like the plans that Paul and Timothy and Silas made. Someone recently told me that she's been split up with her husband. Um, and I know a bit of her background as far as kind of how she believes certain things and, you know, it's just sort of how she, she holds very tightly onto some of the things that are a bit more um, based on just kind of feelings and emotions, whatever. But she, she said that, she, that the Lord told her that her and her husband are going to get back together. Now, clearly, I hope that happens. But it's been a while, and it's not looking that way. And now, so for her, it can turn into a, well, why, why, did, not, why did God not keep his promise to me? Right, if it doesn't work out the way that she believes totally that this is, why did God not keep his promise? And now all of a sudden, our faith is shipwrecked. And that's not where she's at, and I hope she doesn't go that way, but I could hear that in her voice. Two years ago, when I was posting about my dad on, on CaringBridge or Facebook or posting about Brittany, before either one of them had passed away, there was an old acquaintance of mine that was uh, I'd known from years ago, also when I was young, um, and this, this guy was just saying all kinds of theological garbage. Garbage. Saying, you just have to declare it in Jesus' name and she will be healed. He will be healed. Your dad will be healed. You just have to believe. God won't let that happen. Because God is good and he won't let it happen. So I, I deleted the post. I messaged him directly, privately. I told me you need to stop because first of all, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. If God didn't say it, don't say he did it. If you don't know he said it, don't say he did it. If you think he said it, then say, hey, I think maybe the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But if you don't know for sure, then don't say he said it. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. That was number one. Number two, he was hurting so many people. 
hurting so many people. And then I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, if this is the case then, friend here, why don't you start in all the hospitals in San Diego and just start going and declaring it. Just do us a favor. If that's all it takes, just start traveling around. But that's, this is not how it works. And these types of things can bring massive devastation in our lives. So we have to be so very careful with our own hearts, but also with the hearts of others. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't put words in his mouth and then lead your heart astray or someone else's hearts. So now we don't know when the Lord is definitely leading us or opening a door, closing a door. I I can't give you a scientific answer to know how to know for sure. This has been a debated question for hundreds of years. How do we know if it's the Lord or not? Is the Lord speaking in this way, doing this way? This has been debated for hundreds of years. It would be arrogant for me to say that I know exactly how this all works. I can't say that. And while I do have a personally closely held conviction, I certainly can insist that I know it exactly. But something that I hope for us to see in this text as well is something, uh, something I've, I've, I've called maybe sanctified logic, sanctified reasoning, sanctified simplicity. You know, 95% of our actions, the decisions we make every day, 95% of them are automatic. They're habits. You don't even think about the different things you do. Only 5% of the actual things you choose in a day are actually conscious decisions. Now, if I'm training my body and my mind and my heart to serve self and to love myself, to be selfish, then that 95% of automated habits is going to be very self-seeking. My reaction when I'm taking in things and interpreting events, my natural 95% of my response is going to be self-seeking stuff, self-seeking words, self-seeking emotions, because I've trained my body that way to be Joby-seeking. But that changes in our life when we train our bodies to delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you, he'll transform that 95%. Those automated things. Your your desires are going to change. Your wants are going to change. The way you interpret things and then respond to things is going to change if you delight yourself in the Lord. He says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Maybe through mundane ways or ordinary ways, but he's going to act. He's, gonna do, he's not going to stop working in your life. Now, Paul and company here, they had their, their hearts automated. Their natural default was desire to preach the gospel. It was automatic for them to glorify God. So they head off wanting to preach to Asia and Bithynia, and most likely didn't have a guy appear to them in their sleep and say, hey, go to Asia. That probably didn't happen. We don't know for sure, but that probably didn't happen. Instead, it was probably just more sanctified logic, sanctified desires, sanctified reasoning. Well, hey, uh, we've got the gospel. Asia doesn't. Let's go to Asia. Like that, that checks out. Like that works. Their desires have changed so much that they just automatically say, we've got the gospel. We got to go somewhere that doesn't have the gospel. Asia doesn't have the gospel. Let's go to Asia. Right? And so they just go. They go. Like the Lord has worked in their hearts, and so now they just, they just act on it. Augustine, he says this, a very simple, kind of interesting phrase. He goes, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as I please? Wait, so I can just do whatever I want as long as I'm loving God? Kind of, the answer is kind of, yeah. But, but, but here's the deal. Can you love God and then sleep with your girlfriend? Can't do that at the same time, right? Can you love God and be bitter 
towards your neighbor, towards your spouse, towards your kids. Can't do that. If you're loving God, you can just step forward and say, man, I love God, I love the gospel, I want to go to Asia. Now, in the meantime, the Lord might close doors through whether it's weather or holding your map upside down or through a Macedonian man in the night. But the important part for Paul and company is that they were going. They were going with the gospel. They were walking forward in faith, trusting that God is going to direct their steps. They didn't have to wait for an Asian man or a Bithynian man to, to speak to them in the middle of the night. They just went. And God then funnels them towards where he wants them to go. Turns out it's not Asia or Bithynia, but it's Macedonia. That's not really the important part though, right? The important part is that they were obedient and just went. They loved God and just did as they pleased. And God blessed their efforts. Now, of course, in this time, they're probably confused on why God's closing doors, but they kept going in faith. They kept going, and when God brought different circumstances, they sat together and they, they concluded. They talked with each other. They prayed through, what is God doing? This is what we think he's doing, so now let's go to Macedonia. All right, so that doesn't, that doesn't derail them. They don't doubt, well, gosh, maybe we heard the Lord wrong, and oh, man, maybe we're not supposed to be out here. They're just going, okay, no Asia, no Bithynia, so now what? We don't know. Then God, through an extraordinary means, he shows them the next step. And now that's not always going to be a, an extraordinary means, but the point is, is that they were going faithfully, not knowing what tomorrow was going to bring. They just did it. They did it. And God, through his providence and sovereignty, guided them through this, even when they didn't know what he was doing behind the scenes. And the word gives us this more encouragement here in Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul and Silas and Timothy planned their way to Asia and Bithynia. But the Lord in his faithfulness, he established their steps to go towards Macedonia. They weren't, they weren't wrong. They weren't in sin to go to, nothing like that. They were just loving God and doing as they please, saying, God, we, we don't have a clear thing from you, so we're just gonna go and bring the gospel wherever. And if that's not where you want us to go, I'm sure you'll lead us and guide us where we need to go. Right? So this is just this sanctified logic. Your desire is being changed taking that 95% of automated reaction and having it more God-glorifying rather than, than self-glorifying. The point for us is that we move forward in life. We can step out with sanctified reasoning, trusting that God's gonna direct our steps. And we're gonna see more of that and how God worked this out with this Macedonian call from this, this midnight vision. We're gonna see more of that in the coming weeks. But no matter where you kind of land on the spectrum, if maybe you're super experienced junkie or maybe you're super like God would never do this thing no matter where you're at in that spectrum my best counsel would be to you to always 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 go to the word of God bring what you're seeking in life the direction you're seeking and then finding in uh, finding that in the word see, seeing what the word speaks to that directly then going to the Lord in prayer just like these guys did God will always 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 provide what you need for life and godliness, for decision-making, for leading you through the awkwardness, the pain, the suffering, the confusion, the trials, the joys, the, the wealth and the poverty, you name it, you will be given all that you need for life and godliness through God's wisdom and direction through his word. He will always, always, always offer to you the daily bread that you need to sustain your life. He will never keep that from you. Never. Never, ever. He will always give you all that you need through his daily bread, his promises, his living and active word. The Bible's not just instructions. 
or a moral code or a history book about God. It is alive and active. It is supernaturally and in an extraordinary way working your heart to change you and give you brand new desires. That's what the word does. It's not just a little roadmap for life. It's so much more than that. It is alive and active. So you can believe and trust that God will always give you your daily bread, which you need. But then always, always, always seek out the wisdom and counsel of others. Don't lean on your own understanding. And I don't just mean your own understanding uh, with the, the ways that you think God might be leading you, the extraordinary things, but I mean don't even lean on your understanding of how you're even interpreting God's word because again, none of us are completely objective. We gotta get to those points and say, gosh, I, I think this is what's going on here, but I'm not sure, so I need to seek out others because I know I'm limited. I'm just Joby who lives here in 2023 at a certain point in a certain part of the globe at a certain time point. So I have to just be really humble and say, I don't have a corner on the market of theology. I, got, I think I got a pretty good idea, but I need the wisdom of others because I am a faulty interpreter. And I say this a lot, I've said this a lot over the years, but I lean so far into people in my life because I know that my emotions, my, my personality type, my past experiences, they, they all color my interpretation of God's word and they also interpret, or they, they color my interpretation of the events and the emotions that happen in my life, right? Just who I am colors my interpretation. So I need the different colored lenses of other people. Hopefully combined, we get a clear picture of the Lord, and we conclude with each other what the Lord is doing in our lives, just like these guys did. So when we're confused, or maybe if we're super confident in what we believe the Lord is doing, remember, being confident isn't always good, like some of these people who are confident the Lord's gonna make me a bigger artist than you too, right? That's, that's not good confidence, right? So whether you're confused about what God's doing, or even if you're super confident in what the Lord is doing, always, 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 Go to God's word, go to him in prayer, and seek out the wisdom and counsel of others. We need those things. We need those things because we are not completely objective, though we like to think we are. So, I wanna ask the Lord to help us, to help us as he helped Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. He might not necessarily give us a vision of a man in the middle of the night, but we're going to ask him to, to help us see and recognize when God is divinely at work in his providence, in his sovereignty, when he's working through the mundane things, that we would trust that he has a reason for all the things that have happened in our life and that are going to happen, that we can conclude together how the Lord is at work in our lives, that we can go to each other and get a, a, a good confidence a good confidence in God's sovereign work in our hearts through the mundane, through the ordinary, through the prescriptive means of grace, God's word and prayer and each other. We need those three things. We need each other because we are limited, because we are subjective, because we're weak, we're broken. So let's pray and thank the Lord for this incredible design. He has us get together beginning of every week because we need each other, because we need him, we need promises. He's designed all of this because we're not God. He's built this into to our, our rhythm of life. Let's pray and thank him for his wisdom and all of that. Father in heaven, what a good, good father you are, leading us, guiding us. <laughs> you don't give us all the answers on the test. We don't know oftentimes what you're doing. 
We have a hard time discerning ordinary means, extraordinary means, emotions, tragedies, sorrows, joys. But you're a patient God, long-suffering. You don't expect us to know all things. You don't expect us to be omniscient like you. You don't expect us to know exactly what you're doing at all times in our life. But your desire is for us to seek your face, to seek wisdom, to seek the beautiful face of Jesus, to know him, to trust him, to go to him, to, to hold our hand through times of, of even massive discouragement, but also in the times of our greatest confidence. We don't want to be crushed, but we also don't want to be proud. We want to be meek. We want to walk humbly, holding closely to you. Lord, we want to let you be God, and we want to be your sons and your daughters. You can be the omniscient one and we can be the limited ones, humbly trusting in our Father who knows all, who is wise in all, who has orchestrated every single dust particle, who's upholding the entire universe by the word of his power. That's the God that we trust, the God of mystery. We thank you that you give us enough, more than enough in your word to show us that you're trustworthy, to trust you in the mystery, to trust you in the darkness to trust you as we walk through the sea, even when we don't understand. We're grateful that you are a trustworthy God, a good God, a good Father. We thank you that today we get to celebrate people who are, for the first time, really in a public way, saying, I love this Jesus that has saved me. Thank you. We have a day of celebration today. We love you and we worship you. We're so grateful for you and for your word your Holy Spirit who is at work in us, leading us, forbidding us from things he doesn't want, allowing us to do things that he wants. Thank you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.